last week we talked about it. The lady came back to him and said, hey, I told you not to mess with me. But God got the glory because ultimately Elisha did so many miracles. He raised that boy from the dead. And miraculously the woman said, oh my, this, this man, this, this godly man gave me back my son. This morning, we're going to go to 2 Kings again, and it's in chapter 6. And the lovely, wonderful thing about technology is, when it works, it's wonderful. When it doesn't, it's horrible. (laughs) And so, my entire sermon, that I usually read off my notes on an iPad... This is what I see. No comments from the Android gallery. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 6. It is going to be old. It was already going to be old school because guess what version of the Bible I'm reading from this morning? The King James. Praise God. Bless the Lord. <laughs> the King James Bible, and you know the preacher's joke. If it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. We're going to begin reading in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Y'all have a copy of the King James? Some do, some don't. You can go to your app and switch the versions, because I know that's not your go-to. Don't you look at me and say that's Oh, pastor, that's what I prefer. Some of you do. I I know that they do. And there are my notes. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. And by too straight, the Bible actually means it's too small. In other words, the place where we're meeting with you, Elisha, uh, we're, we're outgrowing it. It's too small. And then he says this, Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. And take thence every man a beam. Everybody grab a beam. We're going to Jordan and getting some beams. Let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Elisha answered, go ye. Okay, verse 3. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. Let me jump over to the BLT. The, you all know what the BLT is? All right. My, my little translation, right, the Burke literal translation. One guy said, hey, Elisha, will you go with us? Will you go with us and your servants? One guy said this, and Elisha said, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? Where did it go? Where did you lose it? The axe head flew off. Now the guy's worried because it was a borrowed axe. He's like, Oh no, I'm in trouble. And so he said, where fell it? And he shooed him the place. I think he was Canadian. Because I'd have said showed. 
He shewed him the place where they went oot. And he cut, nothing, nobody. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And this is why I chose the King James Version. Because every other version said that the axe had floated. The King James says the iron did swim. Swim. That is crucial. You'll find out later on in the message. But I want to preach. Oh, and he said, therefore, said he, take it up to thee. Grab it. And he put out his hand and he took it. I'm going to talk for a little bit about this morning, about this axe head. And what had happened here, what had transpired here. And for those of you that would say, this is going to be old school. This is going to be an old school. There's not a lot of videos, there's not a lot of technology this morning. This is going to be straight up preaching, and I hope you're ready. And for those of you that would say, you know what, God performs the big miracles in our lives. God, this, these are big things. God does perform the big things, but He also performs the little things. He cares about the small issues that you would consider a small issue in your life or a small need that you have. This was not going to change the world if this axe head flew off and flipped into the water. I mean, okay, well, we'll just get another axe or this guy will have to sit this one out. But you know what? This miracle happened through the prophet Elisha. This small thing that needed to happen for this work to continue, he blessed that work by giving them that miracle. See, Elijah had established, Elijah had established a Bible school. A young man from all over who felt the call of God to come there to study. This was the gathering place that's mentioned in the scripture. They came to study under the great miracle performing prophet to prepare themselves for prophetic ministry. And after Elijah was caught up in a fiery chariot into heaven, his successor, Elisha, continued the Bible school and the training. Uh, This was not a new place or a new school. It had been in use for some time. But they had a problem. A good problem, I suppose. But they had outgrown their facilities, right? They had outgrown the place that they had been meeting. And there's several remarkable things in this story. And I think the first one is, and if you're taking notes, is that the young men themselves saw the need They didn't wait for the leadership to point something out or inspire them or instruct them. But the young men developed the solution to the problem and they took it to Elisha for his approval. Now, any pastor would tell you that some that's that can be a remarkable occurrence. I don't know how astonished Elisha was. And I don't know how taken aback he must have been when these young men took it upon themselves. They were the recipients of the blessings themselves, recognized that there's a need here. It's getting a little little close, a little crowded. Wouldn't it be something, church, if people in the church that saw a need, wouldn't it be something if somebody saw a need and they didn't say, boy, they ought to take care of that? Right? Instead of, I ought to take care of that. Wouldn't it be something, instead of, boy, pastor, you ought to do something about that. Wouldn't it be something if if the people of God would come to the pastor or come to the church and say, how can I help address the issue? How can I plug in? Now, when they came to Elisha, they outlined their plan, right? It was a, a simple plan, but an effective plan. And they outlined it to Elisha, and what did he say? Hey, we'll go, go. 
Elisha didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to mull it over or anything. He said, go do it. Their plan was simple. Nothing complex about it. There was nothing particularly brilliant about this plan. It, it was not, not you know, specifically miraculous. That they just needed a bigger place. But it was incredibly effective. Here was their plan. They said they need a bigger Bible school. We need a bigger building, they said. Where we remain with the prophet and where we learn from this prophet. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and to build a new Bible school. They, they, they said, we're going to do this. This is our plan. We're going to build a new school. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to go down to the Jordan. We're going to cut down some trees. We're going to square them up. We're going to make some beams out of them. And we're going to carry those beams to the building site. And we're going to build the Bible school. Simple plan. Here's point number one. No one was expected to carry more than he could. But everyone was expected to carry all that he could. You pick the tree out. You could cut out a little sapling if you want to. Bring it up and say, you know what, I got a door frame here. You could cut down a huge old tree. You trim it up and you muscle it up on your shoulders and you say, hey, this one's for the foundation. And you lay that down. Not everyone was expected to carry more than he could. But everyone was expected to carry all that he could. You can do whatever you want. There's plenty of ministries. There's plenty of things to plug into in this church and in, in other churches and wherever. There's plenty of places. And, and we won't want to, God doesn't want to give you more than you can take, than you can carry, than you've been gifted with, than you've been uh, 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 supplied with, the talents to do. But He does want you to do all that you can for Him. God's waiting for you to decide. You can carry as big a beam as you want to. And isn't it time, church, not just our church, but the church, isn't it time for the church to really step up and get behind this movement of God and put themselves into building the kingdom right here in our little corner of the world? Make the sacrifice, pay the price, do what they can for the kingdom of God to progress and do kingdom work here. Instead of being this, this consumer mentality, right? You walk into church and you say, oh man, okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? Instead of coming in with that, say, Lord, how am I getting equipped for you to serve you, to grab hold of what you're doing? And I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't believe in the 80-20 rule for the church, Amen. For the kingdom of God, I don't believe in the 80-20 rule that 20% of the folks ought to do 80% of the work. <laughs> I don't believe that 20% ought to give 80% of the offering in a church. I don't think that 20% ought to do 80% of the worship. And I don't think 20% ought to do 80% of the commitments. I believe that it's time, church, for 100%. God is not asking for more than you can do. But he is asking for all that you can do. Now these guys, they were excited about their plan. Uh, they couldn't wait, right? They, they, were, they went to the man of God and they, they presented their plan. They outlined their plan. They said, you know, we're going to all do our part. They came to Elisha and said, we're all going to do this. 
Everybody's going to get to carry as big a beam as he can, and we're going to build a new Bible school. And when Elisha the prophet says, go, I can see them filing out of that little Bible school. I can just picture it. And they're running down to the river bottom to begin chopping down those trees. The the prophet said, go. The team came up to the prophet and they said, prophet, this is what we're going to do, Elisha. This is our plan. What do you think? And he said, go. And they were like, he said, go. Boom, they went out the door right to the Jordan. They started chopping down. They were excited. They did not see it as a burden or something they had to do. They didn't see it as duty. They saw it as an opportunity. They saw it as their pleasure. They saw it as a chance to help build the kingdom of God as only young people can, right? They were caught up in the enthusiasm of the challenge and they just ran out of that place. The Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine in my mind that there was one, the very last one maybe, that ran out. Like, they were all excited. The Bible didn't say how many there were. But they were all excited. They were outgrowing whatever they had. And they went out of there with a charge, ready to go to the end, to the, uh, to the river and start to build. And then I, I, I picture in my mind, maybe the very last one, got to the door and said, you know what? There goes everybody else running down the hill, ready to go. And the last guy out the door, something struck him. And he stopped and he turned around. And the Bible says that one, just one, It wasn't the cry of the bunch. It was just one. And it almost was an afterthought that this one said, Elisha, Master, will you go with us? Will you go with us? These guys were ready to go out on their own, right? They had the ability. They had the the wherewithal. They had the gumption. They said, let's go. Get some axes and let's get our axes down to the bottom of the river and start chopping down the trees. And they said, you know what? Hang on. One came back and said, hey, master, will you go with us? Remember last week I told you that that Elisha and, and all the prophets really were a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the ultimate and greatest prophet. Remember, I told you that Elisha was a foreshadowing. Let me tell you something, church. I don't want to go if Jesus doesn't go. I'm not interested in a future that leaves him out. I want His presence and His Spirit in everything we do. I don't care how much money we have. I don't care how filled with education we get, how, how better to, to, how all equipped we are, how talented we are, and all of that. If we forget to invite the Master to come, will you go? He said. Elisha said, there's no, there's no hint of hesitation, nothing. He simply said, I will go. And the Bible emphasizes the importance of this moment because repetition in this is the scripture's italics, right? So it says, you know, I will go. And then repetitive portions of scripture, he said, I will go. In the next verse, he said, so he went. I'll go and so he went. In other words, there was no, I'm going. I am going. And it's good that he was there. One of these guys, in the, one of the Bible students, filled with energy and strength and enthusiasm, He's down at the Jordan. Now Elisha came. He said, I will go. He's going to go be a part of this work. And he's down there with everything he has. These guys are into it. They're chopping the trees. And they've got their sharpened axes. And they're just hitting these trees. And I, I don't know how many times this guy hit the tree. But there's one guy who hits the tree. Wham! Wham! 
wham, maybe his back's to the river. He swings that handle back one more time. And what happens? The axe head flies off. Heads up! What is heads up anyway? Isn't it heads down? Goodness, for something. There's an axe head flying through the air. Thank God it went over to the river. It might have killed somebody. So it goes into the river. Kerplunk. It sank into the muddy Jordan River. And, and I imagine that big heavy axe head would have sank in an instant. And it buried itself on that silty bottom. You ever dropped something in the water? You ever been out by a lake or a creek fishing or just hanging around a lake or water and you drop something in the water? I mean, you drop, you drop something in the water and, and you better grab it fast. That's why they sell those key fobs with the little floaty things for your boat. You drop something in the water in the lake, you're in trouble. When I read that, I kept thinking back to my father-in-law was fishing one time on the side of a lake. And um, he, he wore these pocket t-shirts, right? A lot of you have them. A little pocket t-shirt. And he had, um, he had my mother-in-law, his wife's phone, in the pocket. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. There's no amount of rice in the world. <laughs> he had her flip phone, right? Remember those? He had that in his pocket. And he bent over to do something and whoop, right into the water. I mean, what do you do? It's in the water. And immediately the first thought, oh no. Oh no. You drop something in the water and and generally it's gone. You get that sinking feeling in your stomach, literally. There's something sinking and you feel like, oh no. And if it's shiny, it sort of just goes down in the water and it sparkles for a little while and then all of a sudden it's gone. Now, I like this guy. I like him for a lot of reasons. He realized where he was, right? He realized that he had lost what it took to get the job done. He lost that thing that translated human strength and ability into the operation that needed to accomplish what needed to be done. Without that sharp edge of that axe head, you're not going to bring down a tree. I don't care how long you whack that tree with an empty axe handle. You might shatter the axe handle. You might bruise the bark of the tree. But you're never going to get the kingdom of God built. Never. He recognized, man, I lost all the power that was in this axe, was in that axe head. And he said, you know what, I lost the power. It's gone. Perhaps maybe he hoped that nobody noticed. Okay, I mean, he's swinging that axe handle. He's still swinging away, but he lost the power. Think of the metaphor that's going on here, right? He's, he's swinging that handle, and he's giving it all he has. But as much as he swings that handle, the power is gone. And he's swinging that handle, and he's, maybe he's hoping nobody will notice. And he'll just keep swinging that handle. Maybe something good will happen here. You know, maybe he he keeps swinging that handle. I'm going into metaphorical mode. Go with me. And, you know, he keeps swinging away, but the power's gone. He keeps swinging away, and he's saying, you know what? He goes to an axe-swinging seminar, and he learns a better way to grip the axe handle. And he's chopping away, and he learns better how to position your feet to get the strength of your legs up into your arms and swing that handle into that tree. 
But the tree never comes down. He becomes great at swinging axe handles. He's just not much at getting trees down. And maybe he goes through these same motions because maybe he's in denial. Maybe he doesn't even notice himself. He's just swinging away. And it's gone. The power's gone. But somewhere along the line, he's convinced that he's been going through the motions that get this job done. And folks, I believe that, it, that, 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 that the church can get there. The church can go through motions. The church can sing the songs. The church can know all of the right things to say to someone. And, and, and at, at the church can even know how to put words together to make a sermon or, or to make a message or a class. And, and we know this like rhetorical psychological techniques and theories of how to get messages across to people and we can have all that right and and but when it comes to building the church if we don't have the power we'll never build the church you see so and so maybe across town or across the country and you know what they people they try to you know, we try to build bigger churches and build bigger buildings. And like, oh man, so-and-so built a big church. And if they can do it, we can do it. Let's emulate what they do. Let me tell you something. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God, not emulation or reproduction. We need, the, we need God's power. We need God to go with us. In fact, if we really pay attention, we realize that God is not actually going with our plan. The plan was His all along. We're just joining Him in His mission. Like Elisha was sitting there, I wonder if he didn't know that that last guy was going to turn around and come ask him. Because little did the guy know that was God's plan that they were joining Him in. We need not, church, just to gather a crowd together on a Sunday or a crowd together at a Bible study or just a crowd together. Anybody, any football game can gather a crowd. Any circus can gather a crowd. We do not build a church for the kingdom of God on our own strength. We can swing that axe handle perfectly. But without the edge, without the power, without the Holy Spirit, We need God when the hungry walk in. When the hurting walk in. When the helpless walk in. When the helpless walk into your church, it's not what we can do for them, it's what He can do for them. We need the power of God. I watch watch people remodel the insides of churches and I watch people fix the parking lot or uh, uh, appoint greeters and parking attendants and train their ushers and upgrade their music and get the AV working and smooth out all of the cadences of service. And then they sit back and they wonder why revival isn't happening in their church. They get all the things right. They do all the things. They make all the things happen. And they wonder why. You know, I didn't say these things aren't things that need to be done. And these things aren't good things. But if that's where you put your trust, your trust is misplaced. You know, this thing wasn't wasn't born in Sigmund Freud's study. Right? It wasn't born in some business college that if you do steps A, B, and C, this is what you'll have. Church is different. The house of God is different. 
It was not born in some psychology class where it says, you know what, if you do this, this, and this, you can get people to come and you can get people to worship. It wasn't born in the halls of academia. It was born in a little Bible college we read about in our scripture where a bunch of kids stuck together and saw in the scriptures that, you know what, we will have revival. We will have it when we quit just going through the motions. We can't quit just singing the songs and preaching the sermons. We need, they said, we need God. We need the prophet to go with us without the power of that axe head that represented the power of God in this sermon. Without that, we can't do it. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I promise you that our our strength is Christ. Our cutting edge, right, if I could use that metaphor, is Christ. Christ, our ability is Him and Him alone. Think, oh man, I'm trying, but it just isn't working. Check the axe head. Oh, is it still on the handle? If it's not, stop swinging. Quit going through the motions when nothing happens. Check to see if the power is still there in your own life. I'm, I'm reading the scriptures Are you reading the scriptures because you're hungry? Or are you reading the scriptures because it's out of duty? Out of the, I I should, this is what what the preacher tells me I should do. Or are you reading it because you're hungry? Is the power there? Now this guy realized it, right? He He didn't keep on swinging, I'm sure, an empty axe handle against a tree that would never come down. No, 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 no. Right away he said, ah, I lost it. I lost it. He went to the master. If you look in the scripture and look back, he says, Alas, master, I had it. I didn't mean to lose it. Wasn't planning on losing it. Fact was, I was actually engaged in the good work when I lost it. I wasn't playing around. I wasn't backslidden. I wasn't, I was engaged in the good work and somehow, some way, I lost it. I was doing my best. Alas, master. Then he reveals the problem. The problem was, he says, for it was borrowed. Mm. I mean, this is a Bible school kid. How many times is he going to actually need an axe? He's, he's studying, he's in school, he's studying under the prophet, he's, he's opening the scriptures. How many times is this guy really going to need an axe in his life? Probably not much. So rather than go down to the Home Depot and buy one, that's going to cost him something. He didn't want to buy one. He just needed to borrow one. So he goes over to Uncle John's house and he says, hey, let me, you know, Uncle John, I need need to borrow an axe. I don't know if it was real Uncle John, but go with me a little bit, all right? It's lonely up here. Let me tell you a little bit about something about Uncle John who's going to loan you the axe or loan this this gentleman the axe. He's never going to loan you his good axe, right? He, he doesn't loan you his good axe. He spent way too much time sharpening that thing. It's his pride. It's hanging over the door in the woodshed. You're not getting that axe. You, but you want to borrow Uncle John's axe? He's going to give you the old worn out, dull, here, here's this axe. You know, the head may not stay on the handle, and he might know it, but he says, you know, I'm not going to be there. Here, take this axe. What he's saying is you can't, you can't, what, <laughs> What he's saying is, you can't have the good axe, but I'm going to give you this axe. And he loans it to you. It's it's borrowed. What I'm saying this morning is, you can't borrow what I'm preaching about this morning. You can't borrow it from your mom or dad. 
You can't borrow it from grandma. You can't borrow grandma and grandpa's axe. You can't borrow the pastor's axe. You can't borrow yesterday's saints' axes. One generation can't borrow this from the past generation. You don't get grafted in to the Christian life. You have to get your own axe. Every single one of us has to pay the price, whatever it costs, and buy that axe for ourselves. You've got to buy into following Jesus. You can't just, as I said a couple weeks ago, you can't have a fallback plan. Remember Elisha burnt the plows? He killed the cows, burnt the plows? You can't have that fallback plan. You can't, well, if this doesn't work, I can always do this or that. If you get a hold of this thing, it's got to get down into the marrow, into your bone, and it's got to be a part of you. You've got to buy your own axe. You've got to be the owner of your own axe. Here's what Elisha said when he cries, when the guy says, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Here's what Elisha said. Where did it fall? Essentially, he was saying, where did you lose it? How many times when you were a child or parents, when your child comes to you and said, I lost this. What's the first question you ask? Where did you lose it? And you say, if I knew where I lost it, it wouldn't be lost. (laughs) So Elisha says to him, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Essentially, he was saying, You'll find it where you lost it. You'll find it where you lost it. Where did you lose... Now get back into the metaphor. Where did you lose the power? Where did you lose it? You say, oh, pastor, I just don't, I just don't feel God. I just don't feel like, you know, the power. I just don't... You know, I see some people in the, the testimonies and I see things happening, God, Pastor, and I just don't see, like, where, I just don't feel it. Where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? If you quit praying, get back in the prayer room. If you got depressed or angry and, and you, you just sort of quit worshiping and you sit back and you, come on back up and get where the worship is happening. Remember, a few weeks, or last week I used the surf the surfing metaphor, right, where, where you got to swim out and swim into the wave? Where did you lose the power? Remember I said that if you, if you just only watch online or listen later, or you kind of just come once a little, a little while, it's not really your life, it's just a small portion of your life coming to the house of God, that I said that that isn't swimming into the wave, You want to go where the blessing of God is? You want to swim into that? And I'm afraid that some have gotten way too complacent about gathering, about not gathering together with the people of God, and I'm not letting you off the hook. I see that the priority of coming to God's house, where did you lose the power? Well, we used to come to church all the time, and now we don't. We just watch online. And now you feel like the power of God is not a part of your life. Where did you lose it? Go back where you lost the power to get the power back. Go back where you lost it. Elisha says, well, where'd you lose it? 
You wonder why you aren't on fire and you don't feel the presence of God and where is the power of God in your life and some have to look back to where they lost it. Get back into God's house. Get around the people of God again. Elisha said, where did it fall? You'll find it where you lost it. If you lost it in your commitment, rediscover what it means to put God first in your life. So he says, he cut a piece of the tree, he tossed it into the river, probably upstream, and when it came past, sailing in the current, it went over the place where that iron was, and the Bible says, and this is a better translation, that's why I use the King James, if it would have just floated, it would have kept on floating. But the Bible says that it, it not only uh, it violated the laws of specific gravity, it violated, violated the laws of inertia, And the three laws of motion, all of this. Because the Bible says that the iron swam. And where did it swim? It swam to the feet of that young man. Another translation says that Elisha said, then pick it up for yourself. 